I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Stefan Rodri, I just think you're wonderful. I wanted to be able to say in Welsh, welcome, but I don't want to get the pronunciation wrong because there is nothing else worse than getting the pronunciation wrong of a Welsh word. I'll say it for you, croeso. Okay. That's what you would say to me, croeso. Croeso, yeah. It's one of the few words that many people know in Wales because you see it in lots of buildings and signposts in Wales. Croeso. 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 But also then... And I then say, diachamawr. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. <laughs> yes. How do I just say... Uh, no. OK, let's... let's. OK, so I've said that, Groysor, yeah. and then you've said, lovely, and then I say, it's so lovely to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it'll do. Sort of, if I hide behind the mic, nobody will see. OK, um, so, many, so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, but I just want to read something to you that was on Instagram after uh, The Way dropped. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've read it, but this is the totally wonderful uh, Russell Davis, who I think you know. Mm. He says, well, that's magnificent. Magnificent. He shouts it because it's in capitals. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Raw and furious and mythic and beautiful. And it even has time to be funny with the most brilliant Welsh cast. It's amazing how they've done it. My head spinning because it throws in allegory and legend and hallucination and archive and fairy tale and ends up feeling so real. How the hell? So classic and so new at the same time. Breathtaking, groundbreaking, wonderful. <laughs> And that's what Russell T. Davis says about the way. He's enthusiastic, isn't he, Russell? He is, but I also know. I think it's incredible. I think I wrote underneath, isn't it superb? Because I didn't have enough. <laughs> he, he used every word, but it, it is. Well, he's, I mean, the thing is, Russell knows television and is a television animal. You know, he, uh, you know, just to name drop a bit, I, he, he sent me uh, around the same time that he posted that, he sent me a personal message as well in the similar kind of vein, you know, and he was absolutely raving about it. And uh, and as he said in that, he said in message to me, he said, I've spent my life in TV, but you lot have just completely changed the boundaries, you know. So it was such a weird day, I you know, when it dropped on iPlayer um, early in the morning and knowing it was going to be broadcast that night, um, I didn't know what to expect of the day. and But before we knew it, there were 
um, some negative reviews coming in as well. And, How? Well, it's I mean, the thing is, it, it, I, I suppose there was always a sense that we knew it would, it, there was a possibility that it would polarise opinion, that it yeah. was brave and ambitious and groundbreaking. And, you know, a lot of people say that, and then it's a sort of formulaic drama, you know, with all due respect. But it, we, you kind of knew from the script of this that there was no formula. And I think that um, reviewers... To be honest, with all due respect, the I don't really care about. Not, not, I'm not saying for a minute I don't care about reviews. If everyone absolutely hated it, then I would be a little sad. But um, it seems to have wound up the right people. Let's put it that way. That's <laughs> so, a clever way of putting it. So the the kind of publications that have reviewed it negatively, on the whole, I kind of think, yeah, okay. So it's kind of not ticked their box. Yeah, it's not going to really. Um, that's as subtle a way as I can put it. And, um, you know, there have been some good reviews and certainly, even if, it, to be honest, even if there were no good reviews, that someone like who knows their stuff, like Russell T. Davis, would say that about it, then you think, well, it's got something and some it's people are going to... Like, yeah, though. absolutely. Uh, so, so I chatted to you first about this a couple of weeks ago yeah. before I'd seen it. Right. And you were explaining it to me. <laughs> Badly, and, probably. No, but it's sort of... you. It's very difficult to explain because yeah. it is all that Russell said. It, it yeah. is funny. And it's I think poignant, that's, I, to be raw. honest, I think that's part of part of the negative reviews is people don't know how to explain it. You know, and does that matter? I don't know. No, exactly. I think we it, look. It, we've been around long enough to know that in the seventies and eighties there was groundbreaking TV like Dennis Potter and um, Stephen Polykoff and people you know who created things that didn't fall neatly into a genre and into a type of TV. And there are, you know, even if it's brilliant, it's more often than not these days in a genre, in a type, yes, you know, yes. and and it is uh, of one kind of style, you know, within it. And what what people did in the seventies and eighties, and you know, when when experimentation within TV started, and then kind of stopped, it seemed, you know, what I mean, it sort mm. of stopped really. And um, but what they did is is break the boundaries, break the rules, you know, like was happening in theatre as well. And I think it's not happening as much in theatre maybe now, but, you know, the, the, just to experiment to see what you could do with TV. And I think that's what um, Michael Sheen and Adam Curtis and James Graham have gone back to and have just gone, right, let's sod it, let's chuck all this at the wall and see what sticks sort of thing. You know? it's, it, what it does is it it pushes boundaries, it makes you think, it it questions... It makes you question things, and I love that from television. Yeah. I, I I am a massive fan, obviously, anybody that knows me, a massive fan of entertainment, obviously, yeah. and I'm a massive fan of really good drama. And I'm going to actually say this is extraordinary hybrid because I I want more. Mm. It's not the, the whodunit I want. It's I, I wanted to immerse myself in what yeah. you've all created. I mean, it's it's extraordinary television. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, I'm sure that Michael had a lot of these bold ideas himself, but I think that Adam Curtis coming on board probably gave him the confidence to go for it more. And you're you talking, when you say Michael, you mean Michael Sheen. Michael so this Sheen, is his sorry, first yeah. This is his first... Is, he created the idea. He came up with the idea. Yeah. Um, but he didn't script it. He's not a scriptwriter, he admits, and so they got James Graham at a later date. But first of all, to get the story and the idea together, the first person he brought on board was Adam Curtis, the wonderful documentarian, you know, who was whose documentary style you can really see, I think, yes. within it, you know. Um 
it is it's curious and inventive and you know groundbreaking i think and he looks at what uh, you know what society really is in an unsanitized way looks beneath the surface of what what society is and 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 pushes the boundaries in terms of style and everything really breaks all the rules so i think michael kind of probably took confidence from that and mm. and whether i don't know how much is Adam Curtis deliberately influencing and suggesting, or whether it's the Michael Sheen just absorbing his well, presence all of you kind together. of thing. And the cast. Yeah. Phenomenal cast. Oh, they're great, aren't they? Cal- Callum's extraordinary. Yeah, they all. I mean, Marley Harris, Callum Scott Howell, Sophie Melville and Maya Laskowska. And, um, yeah, plus everyone else who joined us along Everybody. the way, you know. And I think because it was so bold and ambitious... Everyone who joined us, without without exception, whether they were there for a day or a week or whatever, they really were on top of their game. You know, nobody kind of just treated it as like, oh, another little guest lead that I'm rocking up to do. Everybody was like, okay, I am part of this remarkable project and I'm fully committed, you know. So Mark Lewis-Jones and Paul Rees and Jonathan Navy and all these wonderful people who joined us on the way were just like 100% in there from from the first minute, you know. I love that we've just gone into talking about it and we're not explaining it and I think we shouldn't (laughs) because I think everybody has to experience it in the way that I read about it, I'd interviewed you about it and so Sophie, I interviewed Sophie as well and... And so I sort of went in, still not quite sure what to expect. Yeah. And I think that's the way to go in. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you'd exp- you you can't explain it, really. You can explain that it's about a family and it's set in Port Talbot and there is, you know, upheaval because of a strike. And then... Don't say any more. And then their lives are changed forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you said, and Sophie said as well, that Michael has, there's murals of his... <laughs> there's a mural. There's a huge. Bolt. We had to avoid the mural is of that, his face. Seriously, I'm. That, yeah, you're not is, a joke. No, no, no. It's like a big side of a house, and it's you know whatever thirty whatever thirty forty feet high mural of Michael Sheen. Yeah, yeah. He's That's he's a thing. hero there. You know, I mean, he obviously they're very proud, and they're very proud of first of all Richard Burton, then Anthony Hopkins, then comes you know Michael Sheen. <gasps> wow. And now all from the same town, and. And Michael, probably more than the other two, has really kind of not forgotten his roots. I mean, Anthony Hopkins talks about them. And, you Anthony know, but Hopkins talks yeah, about it. Yeah, he talks about it, but he's, I don't know how often he's gone back there. As Michael's gone back there. And, and he oh, has a mural. And he has a mural. And 10, whatever it was, 10, 15 years ago, he did a huge community project there with the National Theatre of Wales called The Passion. And I, I unfortunately, I was working and didn't get to see it. But my understanding, it was a kind of Christ story where he emerges from the sea and then the, you know, and it was based on the fact, you know, a, a kind of Easter passion play that they do community projects of. And it was based on his experience of, of one of those when he was a child in Potolba and he, and he wanted to recreate it. So they did this massive project with half of the town as supporting artists, you know, in the cast kind of thing. And the other half, plus whoever else arrived in Potolba, following them around, doing scenes all over the town. So... He's a legend there. They love him, you know. Well, as are you, come on, uh, uh, so are you. I mean, you are you were hugely loved. It's so funny when when I said you were coming on the red show and you said you're coming on this. I just went, oh, just <laughs> I, it's sort of people sort of go, oh, I, I can't explain. They go sort of gooey and they just love you. You're an exceptional actor, and I suppose part of it as well is the characters that you've played over the years and and that you are passionate about 
home as well about Wales. I yeah, I am. I still spend. It's a, lot a very of time strong. There. It's a. So there's an incredible community, the 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 Welsh community, and I don't feel blocked. Or, I think everyone. This is a very strange thing to say. I think everybody wants to be a little bit Welsh. <laughs> Yeah. We all look to hope that there's a bit of it in our DNA. I hope I hope there's some truth in that. But, yeah, we are a very small community. We're a very close community. You all know each other. Community. We all know each other. That is a weird thing. And you will... I mean, there are YouTube videos of comedians in, you know, Australia or whatever doing a set, and they say, is anybody Welsh in? And there'd be one person. And guaranteed that they will know someone in common. <laughs> and it's the same for me. Wherever I am in the world, I say, to someone, oh, you're Welsh, OK. I don't know them at all. But I say, where are you from? And if they say... Aberystwyth or something, we kind of go, oh, do you know so-and-so? No, but I was in school with his brother. No. Yeah, I mean, there's always someone, you know, within one degree of separation, you know. And um, it's, you know, it, it within, within the media, acting, you know, television, theatre world, obviously it's even smaller worlds because, and, and, Especially as actors, we all work with each other quite a, quite a lot, you know. There's a lot and, going uh, on. I, I saw I saw a tweet last night actually when I was trying to avoid looking too much at Twitter and reviews and things, but I did see one tweet in the way, and it said, "If there's anything Welsh on telly, it's always the same. It's always the same actors in it. That ginger fella from Stella, who's Mark Lewis Jones, my friend. The bus driver off Gavin and Stacey, and if they're really desperate, they get Scott Quinnell in, who's the rugby player." <laughs> He's not in it, by the way. And they, they, but I, think, I thought, oh, we missed a trick there. We didn't have Scott Cornell. Yeah. But also, here's the thing. Don't read Twitter, <laughs> no. X, whatever. Don't read it. Just, Just don't read it while laugh. something's made going out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that all that is the joke. But, and I've worked twice with Mark last year, and we're very good friends. But we haven't actually worked with each other for about 20 years before that. So, But we do all know each other. We do come across each other in, you know, often and... Um, it's. I think it's a very supportive world. That's well. so wonderful. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I, you mentioned it, so of course we have to go there. Um, if we don't mention Gavin and Stacey, people would... 
go mad. Of course. I think, and that's what, I mean, I, I hope it's because of some other things I've done, but when you say that people smile when they hear my name, I think it's largely because of Gavin and Stacey, isn't it? Do you, you think know, Dave Coaches is just... Of course, and I'm very grateful for that job, you know. It's funny, isn't it, how um, you do something that's, that's that huge and everybody's talking about it, and there are moments where you think, oh, will everybody stop asking me? <laughs> but then you go past that and you think, mm. oh, I'm really... And I think you're sort of past that. Absolutely, yeah, because it's quite a long time ago now. And there there were times when I never actively thought, you know, oh, I'm going to avoid talking about anything. No, I've always been, you know, very open and happy to talk about it. I don't mean you, I mean other people sometimes. But but personally as well, you know, but, but... Sort of secretly and, you know, in discussions with my agent, you know, kind of thought, yeah, we need to move away. We need to get things that are very different from mm. Dave, Dave Coaches now because you can't be associated with it forever, you know. And I and I hope that by now I have got a body of work that is that is very different to Dave Coaches. But I'll never regret doing it, you know. I mean, it was fantastic. And it did open a lot of doors for me in terms of recognition and, and, and a way of talking about who I am, you know. And, and I nearly didn't do it. <laughs> what? Well... I mean, I've told this story many times, but not, we'll for, tell it again. not for a while. And not, not from my point of view, but um, what people forget, you see, in 2006, when it first came about, is that nobody had heard of anybody or anything to do with it. And 2006? It's, it's, yeah, that's when we first... That's, I know, it's a long time ago. The first series was in 2006. Well, we filmed it. I think it came out in early 2007. Wow. came out in spring 2007. We filmed it towards the end of 2006. And I'd known Ruth for a long time since the youth theatre, Ruth Jones. And but of course nobody knew who she was. Nobody knew who James Corden was. Isn't that a weird kind they of were thing fat to, friends, to remember? They? Yeah. yeah. Nobody really knew who they were. They were actors, very good actors, the both of them. They were in a series called Fat Friends Together and they came up with this idea. And they got a commission and they you know, and, but it was for BBC three and it was very kind of low key, low budget, very low budget. <laughs> and um yeah, and Ruth phoned me out of the blue and just said, we've written this thing, explained a bit about it. And she said, I wish it could be more than this, but I would love you to play a part. He's only in two two scenes in the first episode and he's the bus driver. He takes them to London. Blah, blah, blah. I said, that sounds fun, you know. And I spoke to my agent at the time and she said, oh, darling, you can't just keep doing small parts like this <laughs> on a little pilot on, on BBC Three. People will think that that's all you do are these, you know, little parts. And, you know, and I said, well... Look, I just think it sounds fun and I know Ruth. Who is it? I said, Ruth Jones. Said, oh, I've never heard of her, you know. But anyway, cut a long story short, I, you know, I sort of insisted on doing it. And um, and oh, what happened as well is that Rob Bryden couldn't make the read-through. And Ruth said, I wouldn't ask you to come to the read-through because it's only a small part, but Rob can't be there to read the character of Uncle Bryn. Will you come and read that? So I said to my agent, oh, they've asked me to do that, so that'll probably be fun because all the producers will be there. And I'm really glad I did that because I got to, you know, show a bit more of what I could mm, do kind mm. of thing. And I read all of Uncle Bryn for the for the read-through of the first series. And, um, yeah, and that was it. And, and they seemed to like the character and, you know, and they wrote me more and more into it so that by the end, Dave was very, you know, very much a part of the world. And it was great. It was a great world to be part of. But, of course, what... You know, we know when we work in television and things, these things happen very quickly. It's a very small part of my life. It was a, a few days here, mm. a week or two mm. there. And then it's on television all the time forever. So people think you've been doing it forever, but you haven't. It's just sort of something that came and went like any other job. It's so funny, though, I, that when you said when it first came out, I, I'm, not, I'm sort of in some weird time warp, I mm. think, because I'm not quite sure how that happened. Yeah, it's a long time ago now, isn't it? Oh my word! Yeah. Do you do you mind though that people, as you say, it was a small part of your 
very illustrious career, but do you mind that people will still stop you in the street and say it? No, no. I mean, I sort of, I'm one of those actors who thinks it'll probably be a sad day when, you know, a long time has gone by and nobody's recognised you for anything. (laughs) You just walk around and you kind of, no, but of course it will, you know. I think that with autographs and selfies and everything, I'm always, you know, more than, I mean, within reason, but I'm more than happy to stop and sign and, and take a photo and whatever because there will come a day when nobody knows who the hell you are. You're because gonna, you're always you're working. hobbling around no, Sainsbury's and no. going, oh, you know, I used to be on this sitcom, you know. <laughs> so, um, you there know, aren't you may as well. <laughs> sitcoms anymore. We need, we need some more of Definitely. those. They make us all feel better. Sitcoms? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I... You know, I haven't talked about this very much, but I I grew up on sitcoms and it it sort of gave me more in terms of my desire to act than almost anything. Really? Yeah, I mean, I really loved sitcoms in the 70s. And, um, uh, well, Dad's Army, Porridge, um, Steptoe and Son, Only When I Laugh, um, Bless This House, Man About the House, you know, all those... The Good Life, you know, the the sort of 70s, you know, mid-70s to early 80s, really, that period when... And especially, I I don't know, I mean, as a kid, I was a kid who lived somewhere where we could play out up to a certain age, and then that sort of stopped. I don't know why, when I went to secondary school and I became a bit more house... You know, just stay in at night kind of thing. My sister, my parents be out somewhere or there, my sister be upstairs reading, and I would just be... TV. Lying on the sofa watching TV, and it would be what sitcoms are on, you know, and and in terms of comedy, I learnt so much from watching those classic kind of sitcoms and and other stuff like, you know, slapstick stuff like Lauren Hardy and good choices, and, and even like Tom and Jerry and things, and you know, cartoons, and I loved comedy stuff. So when you were and, lying on the sofa, did you know then that I mean, you said you you were a youth theatre. Yeah. Did you know that's what you wanted to do? No, no. But theatre was always a part of our lives as a family because my parents met in an amateur theatre company and they were both actors. One time my father kind of became the director and they were quite a prolific company in that they would do three plays over one week in the autumn half term. Three plays in a week? Yeah, they do. So it was a Welsh language company in Swansea, Swansea Welsh Amateur Drama Society. And... um, they would rehearse all through the autumn and evenings and Sundays. And then on the autumn half term in early November, whenever it was, uh, whenever it fell, because a lot of them were teachers, you know, so that was a convenient time to take the week. And they would hire the Grand Theatre in Swansea, which is a big, beautiful old theatre, oh, thousand-seater, and they'd put on three plays. And it was invariably two comedies and a drama. <laughs> so, so the serious play was always called The Drama. And... Um, yeah, and they'd sell it out, you know. I can't say it was, you know, heaving every night, but the, but some nights it was heaving and most nights it was pretty full and they'd have busloads of people down from the valleys oh, and chapels. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, yeah. And it all started to change around the early 80s and they had to move from there. They couldn't afford to rent that anymore. They went to a smaller theatre in the university and they'd only do one play then. And, it, you know, but throughout my young childhood in the 70s, it was a huge part. And because they were so involved... My sister and I would spend all week there because they would be involved in either two or three of the three plays in one way or another. And 
that would be our week. And I loved it. I would, you know, because I had total freedom of the theatre. I would be in with the, the guy doing the makeup and the the lady do the costumes and the stage managers. And, you know, just... You were in immersed in the Totally immersed. And then, and as long as we kind of kept out the way and didn't wander on the stage, we were just allowed to go anywhere, really. And you'd kind of go up the back stairs and go up to the gods and literally, I mean, you know, it was like that. You just look, even during the performance, kind of be looking down from the gods with all the lamps around you kind of thing. It was quite romantic, you know. And then if they ever needed anyone, like there was a wedding and they needed a page boy and a flower girl or whatever, we would be roped in for that. And even actually when I was about eight or nine in a play called, um, in it was translated into Welsh, but the English version was called Wind of Heaven. And it was about the the Methodist revival. And, and there was a little boy who was kind of, quite central to it and I and I was cast in that part. Surprise, surprise, my father was directing yeah. it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was always going to happen. So it must have been so delighted. Um, did your father see see you yeah. as a successful actor? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he, yeah, they came to everything I did really. My dad died in 2005 and my mum died a f- three years ago. Yeah. So yeah, they came, but yeah, up until he died, he came to, to, came to everything. They he saw, he saw, so he saw me and stuff up in London as well. I mean, they always, I did a lot in Theatre Cloyd and I did a lot in Wales and he saw all of that. But yeah, when he could come, he came to the Globe. I always f- remember I, I worked at the Globe in 2000 and um, they came to see the show then. They came backstage and they wandered and I knew that, you know, it would be lovely to take them on the stage after, you know, and it was, yeah, it was a wonderful moment. And he just, they both just stood there gasping, oh. speechless, you know, just looking out. And it was, yeah, that was quite special. And they saw me in something in the West End and things. And yeah. And your yeah. mum saw so much. Yeah, my mum kept yeah. kept coming. And even, even then, as she was older, she lived in Swansea. And I think the last time she came was about a year or two before she died, 2019, she came up on the train with her friend to see me at the Oh, how wonderful. And, yeah. and seeing all your TV success as yeah, well. Yeah. So the, the fame side, that's yeah. such a stupid word, isn't it? Yeah. But but she saw all of that. How lovely. How wonderful. And and you're still, all the stuff that you do, it's interesting that the, when you're talking about it, you have a wonderful glint and joy in your eyes mm. and I know this is called reasons to be joyful and I get the feeling that theatre and those memories and sitting on the sofa watching the sitcoms mm. they bring you you just there's this wonderful smile when you talk about that yeah it's true I mean it's I guess you know when you ask like was it something that I always wanted to do I was it was never part of my personality to think that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to get there you know I think I've sort of stumbled into pretty much everything <laughs> without much <laughs> ambition and I and without ambition yeah I mean it's weird because really and I don't want this to sound arrogant because and and I don't what I mean by that is I don't want to sound falsely humble but I really mean it when pretty much everything I've done since about the age of 30 has been way beyond anything I ever imagined I would do as an actor that doesn't sound that sounds wonderful that's a lovely thing yeah I don't want it to sound you know I I really mean it is what I mean you know I was working as an actor so I yeah I didn't even know I was going to be an actor I didn't I was at the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre with Michael Sheen and with Russell T Davis, um, and that was you know my sister had gone to that and she loved it. She became good friends with Russell and so on. She was a real. She really took to it and it was a vibrant, wonderful camp community. You know, and I was a rugby player and not really you know, 
but I, you know, I enjoyed being in the plays in school. And when you when you go to a Welsh school, when you're immersed in Welsh culture, that's just part of you, you know. But I never thought, yeah, and I'll be an actor. I just thought, yeah, I enjoy doing that. And I saw how much she enjoyed the youth theatre, and I thought, I'll give it a go. And I went, and I loved it as well. I really did. And that's, I suppose that started something in me. But again, I never thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor, you know, because there were other actors the same age as me and my contemporaries who were then going off to audition for drama schools and I just didn't have I didn't think I was one of them I didn't think oh yes you know that's me and I think more than anything that is just fear of failure I didn't want to oh, I think I think what was in me was well there were two things there was one was a desire to please my dad and get a degree because he that he drummed into me from a young age you know that I should get a degree and it's sort of just I don't know it had just become a part of the you know of of my makeup that I was mm. going to get a degree and secondly I didn't want to say, yeah, I'm going to be an actor and then fail. <laughs> and That makes sense. And so I stumbled into it. I did a degree, but I did a degree in drama and English. And it was a very practical degree where we did a lot of, you know, improvisation and and um, devising work and, and exploring different theatre styles and techniques from all over the world. And I loved it. And I really got the bug there at Exeter University, you know. And I came out and again, I didn't know then. I hadn't, you know... There was no kind of drama. There was no acting training as such, but I, but in a way there was. There you was know, all yes. of that was really. It was just a way of losing all your inhibitions and learning how to act. So what was really. the first professional job? You so got? then I came out and um, I didn't know I was going to definitely act. But my sister by then was doing some acting professionally. She was working in uh, North Wales in a theatre, and she said a, a theatre and education company in North Wales had open auditions, and she just told me about it. And I went, well, maybe I'll go along, you know. And so my dad, bless me, drove me, bless him, drove me up. Remember, we had to leave at the crack of dawn. We drove up to North Wales. And, um, and of course, it was like just, you know, absolutely. I was like a duck to water with what I'd been doing in, in Exeter, with the, you know, the kind of physical theatre, improvisation, devising, all of that. And, you know, it was just, it felt so natural and easy to me. And I got a job. And so I worked there for nine months. And I thought, well, I'm an actor then. And that's it. You know, I got because they had an equity card as well, which you mm. had to get in those days uh, to give someone they took on. They took me on, and I, you know, and I lived in a caravan on near the beach in Harlech. And it I, sounds amazing. It was incredible. TIE living in a ca- yeah. on the beach. Yeah, it was great. Living the dream. I watched one day recently. <laughs> did we watched it? And the second episode, when they're traveling around. It, I mean, we weren't quite like that, but it was. You know, there are similarities. And I, but I absolutely loved it, you know? And I, when I look back, I was being paid to drive around Snowdonia with this amazing scenery and rock up in a little school and put the set up and do a play about whatever we were doing, you know? And it was great. And so I, yeah, I was on my way. And then I worked with another really good, that, that was, that work was not the best. It was, you know, a bit raw. But then I worked for a great company called Theatre Powers in Mid Wales. And we did some wonderful stuff there. We, you know, we really did. It was chaos at times because it was a cooperative, and we'd spend but half our time. Chaos is good. We spent half our time in twenties. Yeah, exactly. But, How exciting! And you had a real. What I loved is you had a real input and investment into the work. You weren't just employed each project to kind of go, okay, yeah, you're playing this. You know, you you had a part in. It was a cooperative, so you decide let's read some plays and let's decide what we're going to do in next September or whatever. And you you know you were invested in those decisions then. 
I loved it. And I had to chair meetings. You know, I was 23 and there'd be 20 people in a meeting because we were cooperative and they all, like one faction were the Workers' Revolutionary Party and the others were the whatever, you know. And they were got all to like... do, you've got to write this as a drama. You yeah. do realise, that's just fantastic. You on the beach and the and the TIE and the <laughs> Revolutionary Party, you just, that all of this, everything that you've said, I can see it. Yeah. In a in a film, go and speak to my. I know somebody, uh, Russell Davis. <laughs> I think you know him. Head, Michael yeah. Sheen. Say hey, let's yeah. do this. But no, so I was. That was it. I was an actor then, and and I was doing it. Yeah. And, but and, you, when you talk about it, maybe you don't realise because it's your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the difference between seeing the look in your eyes and some actors, and I'm very lucky to have interviewed so many. There is something. You just there's that smile, that glint. Mm. It's that you love. This. Well, I do. Yeah, I did, and I always. I mean, by the time I was thirty, as I say, I was. I wanted to do more kind of proper stuff in inverted commas, you know. And I did get to go to theatre Cloyd with Terry Hands, and I did great proper stuff, you know. But I always felt I was sort of ten years behind, you know. So friends, other contemporaries, you know, anybody else at thirty had already done <gasps> long seasons. I can't seasons make people of, to do that. It's, I know. Why did you do that? Because you should never compare. You should just. I know, this is your I know, story. I know. But you know, inevitably, I thought, oh, but they've already like done three years at the RSC or done a play at the National by now, or they've played a lead in a TV thing or whatever. And I hadn't done. I'd, I'd done some TV, but it was in Welsh in Wales, and some of it was great, you know. But a lot of it was. Yeah, low key, you know, as I say, theatre and education, community theatre, yeah. Welsh language TV. But you learned so much. In I learned loads. I learned loads. And in a way, I, I had time to kind of craft what I could do, but not in not so much under the under the spotlight, you know. And you learned about you. Do you think yeah. you've, you know, if you look back, I, I, it's very interesting. Um, a few weeks ago, I put something on Instagram, which was. Um, if you could say three words to your 18-year-old self. And it's I can't stop thinking about it because people now come up to me in the street and say, oh, and they give me their three words. And and I feel like you learnt a vast amount in those 10 years or whatever, to say, up yeah, until you're 30. Yeah, but that's made you what you are now. I guess so. But, I mean, yeah, and I was young. I mean, going alongside that was chaotic personal life as well. So, you know, it was, I learned a lot from that as well, you know. But the chaotic personal life, mm. was that part of, was it your, of your own making or just sort of went along with what you were doing, if you see what I mean? Uh, a bit of both. Yeah. A bit, bit of both. But it's it was, pretty crazy you know, life as you were living. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but then on top of that, you see, there was also the sort of attempt at a conventional life. So not only was I having oh. that, I was, I was married at 23 and I had my first child at 27. And my second at 29. So I did all of that so in my young. 20s and was, you know, and was living in my second house by the, my late 20s and stuff. And, you know, so there was a huge amount crammed in there. Um, but but then, like I was saying, going back to my career, I sort of thought that's what my career would be. And I was kind of OK with that, you know, doing TIE jobs, theatre and education jobs, you know, community theatre, you know, plays in Wales, some Welsh language TV, maybe the odd English language, but. TV, but in Wales, kind of thing, and you know, and it was it was only by my late twenties, really, where I thought, oh, maybe there's, you know, I remember they did um, Under Milk Wood at the National, and some actors I knew and had worked with had agents, which I didn't have, and um, and got seen for that, and got and were in it, you know, and I thought, well, I I never get a chance to do them for that, and of course I I could have been in it, I'm as good as them, or what, you know what I mean? But why, you know, and that I remember that moment thinking. 
why are my ambitions so limited? You know, why don't I get an agent and get to do stuff like that and broaden out a bit, you know? Please, will you write this? <laughs> I'm actually not joking. You've got to write this. All right, I... Well, it's it's flattering. You think it's interesting, but it I think is. I think any actor has this kind of story, don't they? You know, really, because we really do. I know it's easy to kind of mock, um, you know, actors that they don't really work for a living, but it's it's work. You know, it's the greatest it's, job in the world when you're working. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's work being an actor. You know, dealing with the rejection yeah. and the and the touring and the the hope and the despair and all of that. It's, you know, I don't want to sound too lovey about it, but it is a bloody hard job sometimes just hanging in there, being an actor. And most don't, you know, most don't really stick at it, you know, because it's exhausting, you know. Yeah, honestly, I could I could talk to you for days and days and days and I can't wait to see this drama come to life. <laughs> The the story of your life. It's wonderful. Walking the beach on a Sunday. I was talking about something the other, the other day in uh, when I was in Harlech, you know, and it was, yeah, they were different times, weren't they, you know? I think one day it set me off thinking about those times. And, I think it has for a lot of people. Yeah, and then, because I'm exactly the same age as them. So it starts in 1988 when they finished university, which is exactly when I did, you know. And I'd read the book, which was great, and yeah. I'm enjoying the series. But, yeah, on Sundays, there was nothing to do in Harlech, obviously. And, you know, in fact, I don't think even the pubs were open in the afternoon. They were open in the evening. So you'd have to find something to do. And I'd walk on the beach, and I'd have a Walkman. Do you remember the old Walkman yeah. with a cassette? And I'd put something dramatic like Marla or Mozart or something on and just walk this windswept beach. See, know? this is the best of backdrop <laughs> to the whole thing. Oh, great. my word. Yeah. Stefan, thank you. Thank you.